Hello and welcome to the 551 Podcast. My name is Wes Berdine. I'm sitting alone in a bunker of sadness, but uh, but there's joy in my heart for other reasons. One of those reasons is that uh, I'm on I'm on Skype connected via the the technology of the future with Alex Schieferdecker in Philadelphia. Hey, Alex. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Yeah, I mean three points. It's like perfect uh, springtime, uh, mid sixties, sunny outside. Uh, everything's beautiful. How's- even even the Philadelphia Union won a game. I so. know. Things are really looking up. Yeah, we went to a weird timeline this this weekend. Uh, how, how are things in Philadelphia? What, what do you have to report? Things have gotten cold, a little colder um, than, than than was the previous week. But uh, graduation is approaching, and so that's very exciting. Are you graduating? I am graduating. You're done. Wow, it's been that short, that that long of I, time. I will be a master. Um, so, uh, Master Schiefer Decker, uh, have you figured out the rest of your life plans? Are you staying in Philadelphia? I am staying in Philadelphia. Oh, sorry to hear it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we are, uh, rooterless today, um, freed from our, from the, the shackles of, of the kid. The oppression. Uh, he was asking what kind of jokes we were going to, he was like, do you have a whole lot? I was like, I don't even, I'm just going to forget you exist, buddy. Sorry. Um, so, but what we do have, uh, on, on this week, we've got good, the bad and the weird. We have an NPSL preview because, um, the NPSL starts up this weekend. And if you don't know what that means, we will explain it to you in the second segment, uh, because we've got Kyle Elias and our NPSL editor, who's going to kind of take you through that. But that's basically when you hear talk about Minneapolis city, um, and these clubs, that is, uh, that's what people are talking about, what people, what the kids are getting excited about. And then, of course, we've got Minnesota United who not only won a game, but I mean, they took those nickelbacking, nickelback loving, uh, Kansas City, Kansas citizens and, uh, sent them packing. So I'm excited. I hope you're excited, listeners. Schieffer Decker, I also hope that you're excited because. Excited. All right. Well, then, uh, Let's go ahead and, uh, we're going to start off with, um, uh, music from Big Quarters and then we'll come back with the good, the bad, and the weird. And this is the 55 One podcast. It's good, bad, and weird time. Uh, let's, let's start with the good. Uh, this this goes back to last November, I think, the Brazilian club that none of us, none of just about none of us, had ever heard of, called Chapecoense, um, who lost almost their entire team in a, a tragic plane accident. They won their uh, first title since that period, and uh, this this is they didn't win. They're in the Serie A in in Brazil. They didn't win that because it's the season's about to start for that. But they won the um, Campeonato Catarinese, um, which I'm not saying correctly. But I, I spoke to our friend and sometimes 55-1 guest, uh, Eric Silva Brenneman. And he explained that there's kind of um, in between seasons, there's these mini leagues tournaments that are just for... It's basically, he explained it like if there was a, a, 
a mini tournament between Minnesota United, Minneapolis City, VSLT, and all these all the teams in the state. So it's a, a state tournament, and Chapaquense won. So that is a good story, heartwarming. I, it, it is really nice. Also, I, I I love the different styles of league. I think the Brazilian style of league, where you have this regional tournament that builds into the national tournament, is so fun. I mean, I would love to play like a couple games against the Chicago Fire and Sporting Kansas City, and then you know the winner of that or something gets gets into a larger tournament with you know Rosenballspark, New York, and all the other teams. It, I, it's a beautiful style. It's really fun. There is there is this kind of funny thing where even when people talk about how MLS is so backwards, I mean, if you look at, I don't even understand many of the south american uh versions the argentinian version is very different with the they have 30 teams in the top league right um and then obviously liga mx is very different for how promotion and relegation works where you know you you can't it's basically if the relegation is is a, an aggregate or an average of points from a couple of from i think three seasons uh, it's um yeah, there is no one way to do these leagues. Um, even even like Belgium, like the top six yes. teams play a playoff at the end of the season where their their point total goes through some mathematical formula at the end at the end of the regular season, and it becomes a new point total for the playoffs, and they play all each other again. It's like yeah, they, well, it becomes this uh, mini round robin turn, tournament or something. Yeah, I mean the the idea that there's one table for leagues and like that's the way it's done everywhere except the united states is definitely wrong and i the but the regional back to brazil the regional variation is really fun and a good for a chapaquense um the bad is uh we're going very uh very global with all the good the bad and the weird the bad is that the asian asian football confederation uh had one woman uh elected and her name was moya dodd australian who was she was not a troublemaker, but she was someone who pushed for a lot of reforms in the wake of all the bullshit going on with FIFA. She's been replaced by a Bangladeshi woman named uh, Mafuza Akhtar Kiron, who, you know, then as it's announced that she, she won this election, uh, you know, someone asked her who the, the women's World Cup champion was or who the, the reigning champion was. She said North Korea. And then she said, no, I mean the, the, not the AFC. I mean the, the World Cup, and she said Japan or maybe U.S. or something. Um, it's the reason the 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 new rule is that all of the continents or all of the confederations have to have one woman elected, and so basically what has happened now is that these they're basically electing uh, puppets, you know, people women who uh, have no real experience in soccer or any organization, so they're there just to be. Uh, a kind of uh, empty seat uh, or stuffed body. And uh, it's just basically to prevent women from coming in and rocking the boat uh, as if like six, six women could really just blow the place up and Oh my God, so many skirts. It just goes to show that FIFA can do nothing right. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like no possible scenario or no, no possible, uh, just rule that FIFA can't corrupt and and ruin, you know. 
Well, FIFA is basically Lord of the Lord of the Ring, Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Flies. I mean, it's it's basically every form of uh, power structure evil that human beings have created. FIFA is is it's Voltroning it all together. Like, oh yeah, bribery and corruption. Put that lion arm on. Oh yeah, sexism. Put that one on. You know, it's yeah, it's it's yeah. oh colonialism. Yeah, put the put the leg on and everything. So. It's uh yeah they're gross so, um weird which is also a FIFA speaking of FIFA yeah <laughs> yeah also a FIFA thing and not and this is definitely not a good thing it's but it's more of an obscure bad I don't know but FIFA is trying to deal with the obviously extremely delicate matter that is the um the way in which the Israeli league is dealing has six six teams that are based in illegal West Bank settlements. And so there's a, a website called MideastSoccer.blogspot.com and they talk about it so you can kind of go there if you want. But um, it may be on this week's FIFA agenda where they're trying to figure out, well, do we ban, do we, you know, ha- have some sort of punishment on the Israeli FA in general or the Israeli league? Do we just say these six teams can't play? Do we just turn a blind eye? Um, but it's I don't know. This came across across my uh, site, and I thought it was a very odd story, or or weird, or or troubling, or whatever. That seems you like call it. I mean, so so people like Sepp Blatter. I mean, the rumor with Sepp Blatter, right, was that he wanted to be awarded the Nobel Prize because soccer was causing peace throughout the world. Yeah. But but FIFA has always had this sort of grand. It always feels like FIFA has this grand vision, you know that. FIFA is going to be the organization that that brings peace to the world by through, through sport, and this seems like one of those issues that is a sort of above their pay grade, like yeah. an issue well, that FIFA really should not be the primary organization that that has to make a ruling on this kind of thing. At, at the same time, they yeah, you, I mean, I, I would like FIFA to. To be actually uh, enforcing international law and obeying international law, but you know, I would also like them to not be building their World Cups with slaves. So, I mean, I think let's start with the the first yeah. thing, guys. Let's get rid of slavery involved with soccer. Second step, maybe uh, maybe make it a little less sexist. You can keep keep a bit of it just because just for old times' sake. Ugh. But yeah, then then maybe let's work on tricky uh, border issues and illegal settlement settlements. FIFA um, just makes makes it difficult to follow soccer and be a fan of soccer. Sometimes <laughs> it certainly does. It makes. I mean, when when the Qatar World Cup comes around, I mean, I still can't believe it's happening. How is it happening? It's it's wild, and it's just it's one of those things where you know every once in a while our eyes are opened up to to show us the kind of absolute BS and really terrible things that are involved in making the things that we like. And then yeah, how the sausage is made. Yeah, exactly. So, well, there we go. On that note, um, we're going to cut to another break because I'm going to talk to Kyle Lassen. He's uh, going to take us through NPSL, get ready for this weekend, which is uh, the big start of the league. And, uh, and then we'll come back and then it's Minnesota United time. We rain, we rain, we rain, we rain, we rain. 
right now for our special NPSL preview coverage section. Uh, Kyle Eliason is joining me from an undisclosed, uh, location, probably in, yeah, parking, parking lot. lot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but Kyle, you are, um, you are, we actually made you a, a special, we give you a special name and title, which is NPSL editor. And, uh, you're kind of leading up our kind of coverage of, this league. So why don't you kind of give our listeners the kind of intro? What is NPSL North and why we should care? Sure. Uh, and maybe even just a broader view to start. If some of our listeners aren't familiar, the NPSL is a, a nationwide league. There are over 90 teams now. It's grown a lot in the past few years. Uh, teams compete in conferences uh, within regions. So you can go on and you can win your conference and then you can go on and play the other conference winners and win your region and then you can go to nationals and you can actually be a national champion in the NPSL. It is um, right up there with um, a couple of the leagues as the top amateur league in the country. The NPSL does allow professional teams. There, there aren't many um, and the wages aren't significantly high. I think you would classify those teams as semi-pro, but most of the teams in the NPSL are amateur, and all of the teams that are in the eight-team uh, North Conference are amateur side. So you have in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis City SC, uh, and they're playing in Minneapolis. In St. Paul, you have Viejo Salmos Trapos SC, and then out in Minnetonka, you have the Minnesota Twin Stars. Uh, and then if you go up to Duluth, you have Duluth FC. If you go down to Rochester, you have Med City. Across the border, just into Wisconsin, you have the Lacrosse Airs. And then out to Dakotas, in Fargo, you have uh, Dakota Fusion. And then you have uh, Sioux Falls uh, in Sioux Falls. So there was a central conference in, the, I believe, the Great Lakes region. And a couple teams are carryovers or holdovers from that. Uh, namely the Twin Stars and uh, the Airs and Lacrosse. But um, travel costs are such a huge part of an amateur team's budget. Um, it, it really makes sense for teams to try to control those as much as possible. So there were other amateur leagues like the Premier League of America and the American Premier League um, that both had teams. And the Minnesota. League Premier of America, et cetera. And the, yeah, lots of, you would think there could only be one that was premier, but, um, and you'd think it but, would be premier as well, but yeah, you know, <laughs> but, um, teams pulled up. So Duluth came in from the American premier league and Minneapolis city came over from the premier league of America. And there are new teams like, um, med city and Rochester going to be playing their first season, but they've all come together, joined the NPSL. And now, um, every team is within four hours of the Twin Cities, so that really helps. Um, you don't always put your players up in a hotel um, in the in the NPSL just due due to budgetary concerns. So that's um, it. Really should help the teams in this league. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, for me, results. just as someone who's coming into it, um, seeing Minneapolis City, you know. They were playing teams like the Milwaukee Bavarians, who are a very big, famous amateur club. But and um, maybe the maybe the club you want to model your own club on if you're looking for a really successful amateur team that um, held up for decades. 
Right. And but outside of them, it was playing against, you know, basically the Cedar Rapids uh, you know, bus drivers and the I mean it was just it was tiny towns that that were all like eight hours away, it felt like. And so now you actually have a Minneapolis team, a St. Paul team. Uh, you have uh, Rochester, Duluth, you know, these these cities that are the big city, you know, the, the big small cities within close distance of, of Minneapolis, so, which which is fantastic. Yeah, hopefully they can really build on that that sort of in-state and, and even the in-state rivalries and then uh, even the teams that aren't in Minnesota, Fargo, Sioux Falls, Lacrosse, they're all right on the border. Uh, and then if you look at just two teams in particular – Minneapolis City and Viejo Samos Trapos. Minneapolis City are playing at Augsburg, and Viejo Samos Trapos are playing at the Jimmy in St. Paul. So, uh, you know, the exact distance offhand, but that's probably five miles apart on 94. Yeah, right. Hopefully, you can really you can really get a, a good local rivalry going. Yeah. So let's let's actually talk about some of the teams. We're not going to do a full preview here, but the the big biggest team that we've covered the 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 most. And uh, I I have season tickets now to to Minneapolis City. Um, let's talk about them. This is the, obviously their first year in the, in this league. Uh, what are you looking forward to f- from them? There were some growing pains last year. Um, it was the first. So uh, just a tiny bit of background. Um, Segman's Old Boys is an organization that has a number of men's league teams, and they um, their top team won the Minnesota Amateur Soccer League last year. Which, if you're confining a league just to Minnesota, that's the top amateur league in the state. Um, Minneapolis City are, are an outgrowth of Stegman's. They wanted to put a team in a, in a higher league. So um, initially that was fielding Minneapolis City in the Premier League of America last season, and now it's fielding um, that same team in the NPSL North. Um, they played at South High School's West Barnard Field, and it was a really inconsistent playing surface, and they built... Um, uh, a fast athletic team that wanted to keep the ball on the ground. And it, uh, their, their home field really wasn't conducive to that. And I know that playing on a synthetic surface at Augsburg isn't particularly romantic, but if I'm looking at Minneapolis city, I'm really excited to see what they can do with a lot of those same players and a similar philosophy on a very fast and consistent surface. They've got some of the better college players in Minnesota and they have kind of a good DIY marketing buzz on Twitter and they've been able to recruit, um, you know, the likes of Dan O'Brien, who played for the Tampa Bay Rowdies, and then um, Brian Coleman, that uh, I'm sure all uh, the Thunder Stars and Loons fans are probably familiar with. So um, inside and outside the club, I think right now a lot of people are predicting them to win the conference, and it's really a case of can they live up to expectations, or will they buckle under that pressure? I mean, one of the things about this league is that um – you know, it, it, when we talk about the teams that are the best assembled, it, it's still completely a, a crazy league, and it, yeah, yeah and, and the ability to actually predict these things. And Minneapolis City could finish last, just as just as much as they could finish first, but they do have, they finish, do have some. Minneapolis, oh, Minneapolis City could finish probably seventh out of eighth. Um, we'll get to that later. Just okay. as easily as they could finish first. <laughs> All right, so they are at least guaranteed and not the worst. But the the other um, closest team, the, the the team that's actually four going to play basically four blocks from where I live, uh, is uh, VSLT Vie- Viejo Son Los Trapos. 
they also came out of uh, an amateur team, right? That that an MASL yeah. team. They played in the MASL, and the MASL has promotion and relegation, and their their team won uh, the second division last year. So they will have a team in the first division of MASL this season, and they'll be playing against. Um, I forget the particular incarnation, but Stegman's Internationals. So Viejo Samos Trapos and Minneapolis City and Stegman's are each going to have a team in MASL Division One and in the NPSL. So it's like a, I don't know, the a fertile ground for a really strong local rivalry. Um, VSLT is started by a center back named Juan Fizz. And this is kind of an interesting wrinkle on the whole Twin Cities rivalry too, because Juan Fizz was... Um, an NPSL all-star, like on the national level for the Minnesota Twin Stars, um, when they finished national runners up. So he was, um, an all-star for them in 2007 and 2008. And now he has his own team and he's going to be competing against them. So that's, um, you know, maybe a, an interesting narrative line to keep tabs on during the season. Um, they're recruiting, um, significantly from the Latino community in the Twin Cities. And that's, um, this, this team's, uh, I'm just going to be honest. Um, you know, I'm not familiar with a lot of their players. There are some players that we saw play in the PLA last year and, um, Minnesota United not having a reserve team and their reserves being in the PLA last season. Some of those players defected to Minneapolis City. Some of them defected to the Hosomos Trapos. Um, um, that's going to be interesting to see, um, how, how good of a team they can assemble, maybe drawing from, um, communities in the Twin Cities that even we at 55-1 don't cover, um, as in depth as we'd like to. Sure. And then, um, you know, if we, if we move the other, we're going to be trying to cover, um, definitely Minneapolis city and VSLT, but then, uh, you know, 55, one will be covering the league, but also with a, a particular eye to the bigger towns, which are Duluth and Rochester. And so let's start with Duluth, uh, Duluth FC, the blue greens. Uh, what, what can you tell me about them? Yeah, they're, they were founded by an Orthodox priest, um, who, uh, is Romanian, um, came over to Canada first and then came here to take a job at a particular church, um, fell in love with Duluth and stayed in the city. Um, they're interesting and I want to make this clear up front so I'm not miscategorizing the team. They're not an overtly Christian team. Um, people of all belief systems and faith are welcome on their team. But they do kind of draw some influence from their founder. Um, they, they don't swear on the field. They don't argue with referees. And sort of as a parallel to tithing, they donate 10% of their revenue to charity. Um, the Blue Greens is kind of a funny name, too. They, they're, they're maybe similar to VSLT and, then, and even Minneapolis City. They started out um, playing as a men's league team and have kind of evolved and, and, and raised the level um, of their team. And their founder... Tim Sass um, has said that's because they started off with a lot of older players and a lot of those older players got hurt and then they had to bring in young kids and then the team got better. <laughs> so, I'm, I mean, uh, just everything you're telling me about them makes me, like, really excited to heckle them. Just in terms of just every time something bad happens, yelling, shucks, oh, jeez! Or you just Darned. want to make turn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Turn the other and then just making lots of schism, schism of uh, 1054 jokes about orthodoxy <laughs> and, and the, the West. Just really, uh, really might, get in there with that, uh, with those uh, zingers. 
you might have more luck, uh, yeah, just heckling their owner uh, uh, along that line. Yeah, well, Um, yeah. But, and then I kind of look at, um, the population in the Twin Cities is an order of magnitude larger than it is in any other metro area in the state, and that includes Duluth and Rochester. So I look at Duluth and I look at Med City, um, down in Rochester. Um, they both have to overcome that challenge of how do you put together a team when you don't have as large a pool of players to draw from? Um, and they've gone about it in kind of different ways. And, and this is interesting to me. Um, Kyle Backus, um, coaches at Lake Superior. Um, I believe he's the assistant coach there. And I hear really good things about him as a head coach. And, um, Duluth is retaining a lot of the same players it had in the American Premier League last season. And I don't think the American Premier League was quite as good an amateur league, um, as the NPSL is. So, um, they're going to go with, um, you know, a, a coach that has had success at the collegiate level and, um, continuity, uh, and just, try to be like a really good team and that's how they're going to try to find success and maybe overcome recruiting from a smaller pool of players med city on the other hand is bringing in players from outside the state so that's you know expand your pool artificially um maybe a clumsy way of phrasing that and then med city is really interesting too because of some of the things they've done their coach is a sports nutritionist and a registered dietitian and they have inked a deal um with the Mayo Clinic's sports medicine department. So um, you wonder if this isn't going to be the healthiest and fittest team in the league and if they're able to pull in um, talented players from out state and, you know, help them find housing for the summer. Maybe they can put something together too down south. Yeah, or if they're going to have some sort of specialty Rochester, um, some one of the departments there is uh, engineering special orange slices for them at halftime. Genetically modified super orange slices. Yeah, exactly. It'll be good. It's the wave of the future. Um, let's uh, let's maybe just finish on this one point, which is you mentioned that there's no way that Minneapolis City end up last, um, and that's because of a particular team. Uh, is it? Do you, do you say it's lacrosse airs or Aris or what? What is it? Uh, I believe it's the airs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I, oh, I okay. wanted to say one thing about Med City, which is just that. Um, I, I went to their website cause I wanted to learn about them and it says website to come, which is just like, guys, you, no one has a nephew that they can just throw 20 bucks to the nephew. Like, to be not fair, that they hard. do have, they've got five days before the season starts. So. <laughs> that is true. That is very true. All right. But, um, yeah, sorry. The, the, the lacrosse airs. Yeah. And I, um, I'm just going to throw out yet another qualifier. Um, and it's whenever you're talking about players and teams and you're giving your honest opinion, um, happy to be proven wrong. I would love to see, uh, lacrosse come out and win the league this season. Having said that and why, when you were asking, when you were stating that Minneapolis could finish anywhere in the table, um, since joining the NPSL several seasons ago, lacrosse's record, uh, cumulative record is three wins six ties and 60 losses. And over that period, they have a minus 195 goal differential and they haven't (laughs) won a game since 2013. So it would be, if I were making odds and I had to run a sports book and I had to pay out from my own bank account, um, I would try to entice many, many people with very long odds for lacrosse. Basically the, the worst team in MLS history, uh, Minnesota United is on on is set to break their points record from 
over that was over three years. Oh no, that's like uh, maybe over close to a decade now. Oh, okay, all right, over a decade, yeah, in in one season. Man, that is. This- um, Minnesota United has a comparable chance of winning the NPSL North as does lacrosse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I do hope that they can prove someone wrong. That is, uh, please a prove very, me wrong. That, that would be an amazing, that record. would be an amazing yeah. story to write. Well, um, you, so Kyle, you had a piece on Minneapolis City on 55-1 today, kind of going through, looking forward to the season. It covered a, a lot of ground. Um, you've got, what else is coming up this week that, that is going to be on the website? Sure. Um, for sure, we're going to get up a piece on, um, Med City. Uh, Luis Garcia is working on that down in Rochester for us. Um, and then I'm going to get up pieces on, um, Duluth and the SLT as well. And, uh, you know, day job permitting maybe some more on top of that. Sure. All right. Well, thank you for doing that. Thanks for the the preview and uh and this we should say this Saturday uh I believe 3 p.m. at James Griffin Stadium in St. Paul. Am I correct on that? And can I yell this from the rooftops? Admission yeah. is free. I know. Uh, Admission is free. Yeah. The SLT are kind of going with an interesting model where they've got some they're doing some creative things with sponsorships and their view is in year 1 it's going to be better for them to build a fan base. By not charging admission, this is this is uh you got your five miles apart, your crosstown derby, your season opener. Um, it doesn't conflict with Minnesota United's game that day, and it costs you nothing to attend. So I would I would recommend people come and check it out. Yeah, yeah, it's I mean it's great for me. I'm gonna be able to just bring the family, you know, try to basically I'll spend most of the game corralling the twins and trying to not get them to kill anyone or, or anything, but. Um, that's 3 p.m. on Saturday at James Griffin. I'll be there. You'll be there. My twins will be there. So that's, that's four of us. Dan um, Mick thanks. will be there, our, our photographer. Our and, photographer. And Great. It's, uh, everyone please throw rocks at him. Great. That's, that's, yeah. that's the spirit. All right. Thanks, Kyle. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Take care. Here we are again, 55-1 podcast, Alex and Wes connected by tin cans across a great, great distance. Let's talk about Minnesota United FC. They won this past, well, just yesterday for me, it's on Sunday. It was a beautiful, fantastically beautiful day. I did not put sunscreen on like a di- like an idiot, um, but it was on uh, Fox Soccer, Fox Sports. Uh, Alexi Lawless and JP Della Camera, uh, both of them came out to um, Lake Monster Brewing in in St. Paul the night before to to hang out with some Kansas City fans and some and Dark Clouds. And uh, you know it was great to see them. I, I hadn't met JP Della Camera before. I did not uh, get the did not get the gumption enough to say. Um, deflected or anything to him but he was very very nice and alexi is always very nice and funny so it was good to see them it was uh it was a good game to watch uh and it was fun to see i mean this is sort of a silly thing but it was fun to see the engagement on social media uh my millennial cred just 
get boosted by saying that phrase. Um, but it was just, it was great. Uh, you know, I wasn't there, but there were seemed to be so many fans from Kansas City who were driving up and who were excited about the possibility, you know, the prospect of going to a game that was someone near to them. Uh, and it was, it was fun. Yeah, there was, was 300, fun. 300 sporting, yeah, 300 sporting fans came up. Um, you know, and we, we had a damn good time heckling the hell out of this team. Winning always helps, obviously. You know, we did a Alexi, Alexi, give us a wave and the, the press box, or not the press box, the, the broadcasting box is way up at the top of the stands. Um, and you know, at some point you see Alexi stand up and wave his arms and give a wave. It was, it was fun. Um, the game, you know, the, the game itself was two nothing Minnesota United. Uh, let's start with talking about the three stars. Uh, I want to talk about the, the, the biggest star last. So let's start first with, um, Bobby Shuttleworth, Frankenstein's mon- monster. Uh, he was our first star, which is, uh, because he was our sec- second star, he was our second star. Are we actually, I didn't know if they were actually fully ranked. Okay. He was our yeah. second star. Um, he took a kick to the face from Dom Dwyer, which was, which was not a, you know, it was Dom had legitimate reason to put his foot in there, try to get the ball totally legal, but he kicked him in the nose, broke his nose. And, uh, man, Shuttleworth, he took his, he took a, a licking and then later after that took a ball to the face and saved it with his face so much so that the, the fans started singing, he doesn't need hands, but, um, so. What, what do you want to say about Shuttleworth? I've, I've been saying that he's, we haven't fully given him his cred, but we had to this time. I mean, he put his face on the line. He looked like a smurf. I mean, he really looked like with the big sort of bulbous nose. It was very funny. Um, and I'd feel bad for the guy because his nose was broken and he's there, you know, bleeding all over the field. I mean, he's only um, started, uh, six games for us and he's had a concussion and a, uh, well, a broken nose now. As 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 we keep noting on fifty five one, uh, Minnesota United leaves the league in goalkeepers kicking the face with three. <laughs> that is true. Which is I'm pretty sure the team that that wins that uh, that particular statistic was, gets was automatic kicked in the face as well. First round, yeah, he was kicked in the face by Jermaine Taylor. That's why he had to go out for the first time, and that's why Shuttleworth came in. The first oh no, time no, he got he got the, uh, he got spikes in the Atlanta to his game. leg, right? I think he got kicked in the well. I thought I he got kicked in the, the face. Leg. Anyway, someone got kicked in the. Regardless, face. Anyway. I think with two we're still leading, but we want to we want to up that one. So Patrick McLean, watch out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Shuttleworth had a good game. He he had a a couple moments that were still a little iffy, but he, in general he was very good. Um, yeah, he he had two two saves that were um maybe a bit fortunate for him because he was. Going a bit of the wrong way, but part and, of the and Jermaine Taylor saved a goal with a yeah. sort of goal line block. Uh, so, it, it, yeah. but you know, it takes a village to to pitch a, a clean sheet in MLS and uh, the Hil- and Hil- Hillary Clinton guide to tactics. Thank you. <laughs> Stick to soccer. No, <laughs> I I think that Shuttleworth has played well for us. I'm not in. I, I'm not going to say that I think that he is our goalkeeper of the future. I remain of the position uh, where I think we need ultimately to, to figure out our goalkeeping position. And the answer is probably not Bobby Shuttleworth. 
Um, but he's he is a sort of pretty average MLS goalkeeper, and he's filled in admirably. He hasn't made any horrific mistakes, and he's made some very good saves. And I think that he deservedly uh, gets a lot of the credit for the game against Kansas City. Yeah, I, I think the, the fact is, over his last few few performances, we still have some doubts about him, but there are a lot of teams that their starting goalkeeper uh, is, is not particularly great. Look, LA is starting Brian Rowe, uh, Rowe. Um, uh, you know, they, there are, there are teams like that, that are in, in worse shape than, than us. And I think that if we go this whole year with Bobby Shuttleworth, we'll, that we won't be that much worse off than, let's say, if we started, you know, found someone. If, I think so, he's sort of the, 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 um, you know, in baseball, there's this sort of, uh, wins above replacement or measure right. where you're talking about a replacement player. And I think, Bobby Shuttleworth is pretty much the replacement player. I think he is a very average MLS goalkeeper, and mm-hmm. that's not necessarily a bad thing yeah. because there are teams. I like Brian Rowe, but but there are teams in MLS that have not good goalkeeping, and it continually hurts them. Yeah, and 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 I, my my thought is that if we don't, he's not the goalkeeping is not the top priority. We do need someone if Alfie's going to go in the summer that we do obviously need another uh, uh, goalkeeper and hopefully it's someone who would push for that spot. Um, but let's, let's move on to the third star, which is uh, Francisco Calvo. Uh, tell me, tell me what you saw in his game. Jeez, this uh, I wrote early in the season um, in one of my three things, set of write-ups that Calvo was our best and worst defender um, at the same time. You know, he, he's liable to early in the season. He made a like mis, repeatedly made mistakes that led to goals. Um, but at the same time, he has really incredible talent. He's so quick. And, and what was most remarkable to me in the Kansas City game was how difficult he was to beat one on one. In that yeah. game, there were so many not emergency Tackles, not emergency defending by, by the loons, but just really good one-on-one defense where sporting player Dwyer or Failhaber or Gerso or one, one of, one of their attacking players would have the ball and they would lose it. They would get stripped of the ball by a defender. And, and, and more often than not, it was Calva. And if you look at the Opta, and I know the Opta statistics don't necessarily tell the entire story, but if Calvo's chalkboard on MLSsoccer.com is has been insane the last couple of weeks. I mean Yeah. It's I mean you know, it's basically advanced level of minesweeper when yeah, you when you Brent, open up the chalkboard. Brent Coleman has played very well, but but for two straight games now, the opposing team with with Gerso Fernandez for sporting and Jamir Hika for San Jose has had their best attacker on the right side, targeting the left side of our defense, so Calvo and Birch. Yeah. And Calvo's stats, I mean, the dude has just an incredible amount of clearances, an incredible amount of one duels and, and tackles. He is all over the place. He was first to every loose ball in the box. Yeah. Uh, he is 
really stopped. He's cut out the terrible mistakes, and he has played lights out defense. Yeah. And you know, there's there's sort of been this larger reversal in in the narrative between Minnesota and Atlanta, with Minnesota having a good uh, recent couple of games, and Atlanta having a sort of come come down to earth moment. But when I, when I think about the Minnesota defense, Kalman and Calvo versus the Atlanta defense. Uh, Parkhurst and, and, and Gonzalez Perez. Right now, I think that the last couple of games, Minnesota's center backs have played better. And, and Calvo is a really big part of that. Yeah. And a, a, a word for Coleman just on that is that Coleman, I thought, um, had a, a sneakily good game, uh, this time around where Dom Dwyer is not an easy guy to mark. Dom Dwyer is a very good striker. And I thought, no one came anywhere. They had 18 shots on on goal, but at the end, I I mean, <laughs> there were only like, you know, there was the goal line clearance and a couple of good saves. But basically, uh, I mean, Carlman did did all of the good stuff that you want from a a, a center back of keeping people uh, in check without having to make a tackle, without having to make a clearance, without having to make a recovery, and so. Um, uh, the the particularly the half where we were defending uh, with the supporters and so the first half I was just watching him I was thinking because I was trying to watch Dom and I was trying to to watch specifically how they were dealing with him and and they just shut him out I, you're right absolutely right Calvo has been unreal and he was particularly fantastic that game but I I liked that Coleman Coleman's game was very good without having to be about big tackles or anything like that. Hallman's best moment came in the first minute of the game. Yeah. Do you remember Ibsen lazy pass to Sam Cronin oh, yeah. was nearly on target. Benny Failhaber saw it, you know, well ahead of time, intercepted it, running in on goal, and Coleman takes like one or two steps back, and then he sees Failhaber take a bit of an aggressive touch and he steps up to Failhaber yeah. and closes him down immediately. And he actually gives Failhaber kind of a, a shove. And you, if you, you know, I obviously was watching on the stream, and JP Telecamera's voice gets real high. He's like, oh my God, you know, Benny Failhaber in on goal. Like, here's the opening goal within a minute. And then Coleman steps up. He puts Failhaber on his heels, and the chance is gone. That was the best moment of the game for, for Brent Coleman in the first minute. It was a very, very savvy defensive play. Yeah. I turned at that moment, I turned to someone next to me and was like, oh my God, it's we, we're going to have Mr. Hyde Ibsen today. But after that moment, I, I, you know, we're still not even to our number one star yet. But I, I thought Ibsen was yet again just fucking lights out. I thought, I mean, there was another moment where... Um, I'm, I'm blanking where, where this happened, where, you know, Kansas City were streaming in toward the box right at the top and Ibsen just drops his foot down, strips the ball yeah. and just lays it off. And then he just kind of stands there because he's freaking Ibsen. What is he? He doesn't have to run. Uh, it, it, I mean, he, he just, his defensive work, we are absolutely finally seeing Ibsen play as Ibsen. Finally, he, you know, the, the entire time he's been playing with his, he's been fencing with his left arm. And now he's finally said, Oh, yeah, by the way, I'm right handed. Yeah. And he switches the sword. 
I mean, he looks so good. He's on top of every ball. He, you know, he's he's responsible for basically like what sixty percent of our passes or something. Well, right. Well, it's not quite to, that crazy, but if you go to fifty five one dot com right now, you'll you'll see um, my three things article, which which uh, for for this week, and uh, there's a there's a part about Ibsen because he is really been integral to the entire way that we have we've played and possessed the ball. Um, and, and he had a very, very good game. Um, and, and including one of the things he did this game was, was set up the first star of our game, Miguel Ibarra. Yeah. Um, let's go there. Let's talk about that goal in the 22nd minute. The first goal where, uh, there was a little bit of interplay, uh, the ball got back to Ibsen and he recognized immediately that Miguel was, in behind Juliao, who is uh, Kansas City's really disastrous rest right in, back. Rest in peace, game. Juliao. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, uh, not not a necessarily a, a good defender. Uh, but um, but 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 Ibsen recognized immediately that Ibarra was was in behind, and he didn't play the world's greatest ball, but he played sort of a, a looping ball that had enough backspin that Ibarra could get onto it easily. And, uh, Miguel, what, what struck me about this game for Miguel, who, who was our, our first star, was the two assists he had this game, the two crosses. He really picked them out. They weren't just sort yeah. of, you know, you know, uh, let me just hit it into the mix and see what happens. He, in both cases, had a target in mind. And he put it right on the foot and in the head of that target. It was brilliant. And and the first goal, he landed right at the feet of Abu Danladi, who had a fantastic finish. Yeah, and both of his assists were with his left foot. Miguel's left foot is not fantastic. Um, I mean, very rarely did we see in the NASL Ibarra, right? The one we know very well. Very rarely did we see him opt when he was on the left, which was almost always to go to the byline and cross with his left, right? He wants to cut in on his right and shoot or connect closer to Christian where Christian can then back heel it and then, you know, something like that. So this is, this is new. You know, this is very obviously coaching. You're going to do this, etc. And turns out he's good at it, right? That ball to, first of all, Abu Dinladi did a very good job of Christian runs to the far post and brings the center backs with him. Abu Dinladi slows up. He's at the top of the box, races in, and no Kansas City player is there um, to catch him. Uh, it, it was it was fantastic all around, and I think that um, it, it comes from Ibarra being fast as hell um, and having a better left foot than I think that even Ibarra knew or something like that. <laughs> well, one of the things that, um, and if you were at the game live, you may have missed, but that the broadcast actually picked up, um, was that early in the game for the first 20 minutes, you know, and, and the game, the goal came in the 23rd, I think, um, Adrian Heath was, was yelling constantly. He was, he was, he wanted to get the ball to Miguel. Um, and it was partly because, uh, obviously sporting his, he had rotated that side of the defense. So you had Kevin Ellis as a center back and, um, Igor Juliao as, as the right back. And, and they were clearly significantly weaker than Graham Zussi and Ike Opara. Um, but 
that was a trust in Ibarra and a recognition that, you know, when let loose behind the defense, he could do a lot of damage. And we saw that on the first goal, the Bin Ladi finish. And we saw that the exact same thing, basically, on the second goal, which was Dunlady brilliantly feeding Ibarra, who then crossed directly to Ramirez. Yeah, and that, that second goal, which came in the 39th minute, um, that came from uh, Dunlady has the ball, and he just totally fakes out uh, Juliao. Or is he on Juliao? Anyway, Miguel... Um, Miguel makes a, a great run. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm absolutely amazed how, you know, Julia had a bad game, uh, and basically showed that promotion and relegation is real in the U.S. because he will not be playing in MLS anytime soon. But, um, but, uh, you know, and then, but no, he should uh, be a winger. Yeah. Really. But no, no, no midfielder tracked back to, to help this. And the same thing happened when, um, uh, when Miguel, b- between these two goals, Miguel, we should have had a penalty when Miguel races in between two guys and, uh, you know, cuts it and turns Juliao around and then, um, passes the ball right into Juliao's arm. Um, I mean, there was no protection from the midfield for the right, the right side of the wing. I mean, they eventually brought Zussi in, but Zussi even wasn't that protected. It, it was, yeah. It was remarkably um Well, Kansas City plays a four three three and they have Thalhaber, Espinoza, and Elie in the in the center as their midfielders, and they wanna play central. Um and and so it's really a, a, a challenge to their fullbacks. And normally it's Graham Zusi who is a very competent player. And last year it was uh Abdul Salam, who no one can really figure out what on earth is going on with him because he was so good last year and now he's not good at climbing the rope in gym class and we all know that not playing at all teacher Vermees prizes that well but but it was baffling that abdul salam did not play this game and that julio did but but it was really i think a a credit to both adrian heath and miguel ibarra for seeing admittedly a very obvious point of attack against yeah. this Kansas City team, but then taking advantage of it. And they and they did that really easily. And then of course, you know, at halftime Vermees had to basically call it quits and he replaced Julia with with Zussi and 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 he you know that that is really that's really heartening to see Minnesota see you know take see an advantage and and really pounce. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's um Let's go back to Dunlady for a bit, um, because Dunlady, uh, gets the start where, um, I, in the previous week's podcast said that Dunlady should not start and that he needs to be in USL. Um, obviously I don't know what the freak I'm talking about. Um, cause he, he came, too. I wrote a whole thing about how <laughs> yeah. he wasn't good enough. <laughs> and he, he comes in and, uh, you know, this goes to show you. Uh, you and I were not wrong, right? Uh, Abu Dinladi had not shown anything in any of his appearances that uh, that deserves a start, let alone, I think, even more time. But clearly he had shown something in practice. Right. And, and that, Adrian Heath bet on that, and it worked out for him. 
and that's what that's like my general warning to people and which is why you know i i don't get to training that much these days and either but general warning to people which is that there's always things that we are not privy to because all we get to see are 90 minutes and these guys are out there a lot more than that during the week but abu dinladi was on there in place of johan venegas and uh here's a, a tweet from brockington wilson which is, do you think Venegas was benched, benched, do, benched? Everything's going to be with a V for Venegas. Benched due to his style of play, constant f- falling, uh, trying to draw fouls, theatrics, etc. Et what, what, what's, do you have a, a thought there? Of, I think of he was benched he... because he was not effective. Um, he's been effective this year. I mean, it's not like he is a terrible player, but in the past couple games, the one against Colorado and the one against San Jose, uh, he has not had any success. Um, n- admittedly, these were against two teams who really parked the bus. Uh, two teams who really packed the center of the box, who packed the center of the field, were very defensive teams. Sporting weren't, didn't quite fit that mold, but maybe Venegas would have been successful. I- I'm not sure. But, you know, Adrian Heath, for better or for worse, for worth, uh, one of the things he keeps saying is that he doesn't really pick the team. The players pick the team. Um, if you show up in practice, if you are really showing what you're worth in training, and you and another player, the player who's taking your spot, you know, isn't having the success that they would want in a game. Heath will will make the switch. He'll yeah. put the guy who is, you know, giving it his all in training into the game, and and he'll take out the guy who's who's struggling from from the starting eleven. And I, that's I think very simply what happened with Benegas. You know, he he had a couple of rough games. He didn't accomplish a great deal. And Adrian Heath said, you know what, Abu Dhabi is really giving it his all in practice. I'm going to give him a shot, and I think- it worked out. I think it's also important to remember, uh, and I think that this was a, a real uh, concern that you know, um, Vegas had a baby a month ago, right? I mean, I've had kids. I have two kids. Uh, I don't remember the first twelve months of their existence. Uh, you know, I mean, we basically did not sleep with turn. We had a, a little light on in the room. Uh, 24 hours a day and you know we're waking up we had twins so obviously that, that was a little crazier but i mean the guy you know he, he we have to allow for him to you know he's going through a lot so i think that i i think in in response to brockington's uh question when we see a guy bench like that i don't i, I want to like steer people away from thinking that like this person's shit now we need this other person like sometimes People, they dip in form. You need to bring someone else in. But the, the other thing to consider is that, as as you said, SKC are a very different team than the, the teams we've, we've played. We have pretty much only played, um, uh, or, well, I, I'll, I'll back it up. Our recent successes were, or, even, or our last two games even, because it wasn't even success necessarily against San Jose. We played two very similar teams in that they're very... Um, physical, um, direct teams. Um, and SKC are 
a fast possession-based high press, all these things. Um, and a far more talented team than any other team we've seen other than Dallas this year, right? Um, and Portland, I guess. Dallas and Portland are, were two pretty damn good teams. Um, and so we also need to adjust tactics. And I think that Abu Dinladi's speed, we saw on the, the, um, counter where he had, he turns around Julia, Juliao, Juliao pulls him down for a yellow. If he would have gotten around, he had one defender to beat. And, you know, maybe he wouldn't have beaten him, but it was a really good chance. Um, and I think having that kind of speed shows to me that Heathball, um, or Heath Bar, whatever we want to call it, um, can change. I, I think that we've already seen Heath's tactics shift very many times where this was a very standard 4-4-2. You had, you know, Molino cutting in, but you didn't even have Molino and Ibarra switching much. You had very, they were playing as wingers. Uh, you had, uh, Abu and Ramirez pretty much playing on equal ground, one coming in, one staying up, et cetera. The, the fullbacks weren't pressing really high, um, the way that Heath, Heath ball is, is, is typically talked about. And so it, it was very, it was a very different game. And it was, it showed that tactics we, we've talked about, well, maybe they need to pack three guys in the middle when they're trying to be defensive, but no, they, they did it with Ibsen and Cronin in there. And it, again, Cronin was fantastic this game, but we're going to start taking him for granted, I think. One more thing before we move, I guess, to, to Twitter and, and the rest. But but one of the reasons why Dunlady was effective this game was his defense. His work rate in pressing was pretty substantial. And, and for the first time in 10 games that Minnesota played, the Loons pressed and the, the sort of line of confrontation where the opposing team had the ball and then the loons would, would, would pressure it was so much higher this game than it has ever been throughout the rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, throughout, for, for the most of the season, the loons have pressed the ball once it entered the final third. And, and in this game, they were pressing in sporting's half and not just, you know, pressing after the, after a loss of possession, pressing for, three seconds and then dropping. It was sustained pressure on the ball, especially with Elie, who is, who is really a, a very good passer. The uh, Dunlady and Ramirez, but especially Dunlady, were very committed to not giving him and the rest of the sporting defense and back line time on the ball. And it was, I thought, very effective. Yeah. I also prefer it as, to watch as a style of play. It's a little more sophisticated than the way that we've been playing. It was really refreshing. And Dunlady's work rate, his work ethic, uh, was, was, and, and even his defensive skills. He won a couple balls. It was effective. It was fun to watch. I, I really, I, uh, I am, I'm eating my words about Dunlady. He played a very, very good game. Yeah. Just, just a short caveat with that then is that, um, I think then it was very obvious that Dunlady was not ready for 90 minutes because he definitely started to taper off in that energy. And there was a distinct moment where Cronin was yelling at him very loudly because he was not pre pressing the way he needed. You know, C Cronin moved up and got out of position and Dunlady was not 
participating. So then they had created a hole and Cronin was very angry about that. Um, so, so I, I but yes, Denlati proving both of us wrong, lots of us wrong, but you and me in particular. I want to say something about the, 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 the style of play. Cause I looked at, looked at something really quickly and I put all the games together. Um, and I noticed that we had 316 total passes or pass and 33.9 possession in this game at home. I looked at, I put all of our games together and, uh, looked at, um, the amount of passes and, uh, percent completed and possession. There's only two other games that we had that were in the three hundreds for total passes. And that was Atlanta, the snow game where, I mean, Atlanta also had 300 something passes. And so that, that was, doesn't count the Colorado game. The first one, the draw in Colorado, we had 306. This one, we had 316. Everything else is over 400, way over 400, you know, 564 against new England. Um, 486 uh, last week against San Jose and the possession game in, in Colorado, that other game we said was just 36.6, but all of the rest of them, we've been at the 50%, right? What really, I, I mentioned something of this before, but what really got me happy was that this next week we're going to Toronto, right? We should, by all accounts, get our asses handed to us in Toronto, Toronto are a very good team. They're at home, etc. But this is a pretty good model for something that we could replicate away from home and try to try to hit people. I, I mean, I would assume that we're going to see this exact same lineup trotted out next week, and um, and, and it it might work. I don't know. We could we could spring a surprise. Well, I think some of that. Just some of that is the game states, because we were up to early in the game and for the rest of the game kind of defending. But but let's get to let's get to the Twitter questions. And the first question is is basically a tactical question about that Toronto game. Uh, Temple of Loon at Temple of Loon uh, asks Warner instead of Ibsen for the TFC game or how do we shut down Giovinco and Altador? I, I agree with you that Heath's preference is probably the same, the same 11, because that's kind of the way he picks teams. I am kind of going with this comment, though. I suspect that, that Heath will give pretty strong consideration to Warner instead of Ibsen to go for a little bit more of a defensive approach against a, a team like TFC, which is obviously maybe the best team in the league. Uh, but but given what you've said about the possession and the tactics, do you think that that removing Ibsen sort of takes away from our effectiveness in that kind of in that kind of a game? Yeah, I think that this past weekend um, showed me. Uh, up until this weekend, I would have said yes. I ex- I fully expect uh, Colin Warner to come in for Ibsen. But no, at this point, I, I would say Ibsen, uh, Ibsen is on fire. Let him do his thing because he's doing the defensive work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, 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 our, our discussion around Colin Warner tends to be him as a destroyer and things like that. But he's, he wants to be more of a box to box guy. He's not, 
you know, he's not fully that that kind of destroyer. And so if Ibsen is doing the defensive work and he's someone who you can just give him the ball and he will distribute it everywhere, I can't see how you take that guy. I can't see how, how you take out the central cog in your machine and yeah. put in Warner. And Warner is, is has his place, but right now Ibsen is is hands down should be in that game. I think there's also maybe I, I wrote about this last week in the in the three things, but Ibsen Ibsen is doing the defensive work, and, and, and the under I think a lot of people don't quite understand what Cronin's role is. He is not the type. He's not a Diego Chara type or Ozzy Alonso type defensive midfielder, where he's a guy who's getting you know stuck in and just fouling people left and right and breaking up plays. He He's an interesting type of defensive midfielder. He is constant. He, he does a lot of his work simply by positioning. And actually, Mark Birch does this, this also the same kind of thing. So maybe it's a Colorado Rapids thing, but it's a lot of just containing. Cronin doesn't really go hard into tackles very often. He's much more content to block the the pass you wanted to make and sort of force you wide or back. And he just does that constantly. He is constantly in the way of the pass that the other team wanted to make. And he closes with you, but he doesn't get so close that you can beat him. He's and a, yeah. I mean, Ibsen, he's, meanwhile, runs around like a chicken with his head cut off and is constantly, you know, trying to tackle people or harass, you know, nipping at people's heels. They play very different roles. And I'm not sure Warner is the kind of player that Ibsen is. So I, I think that Ibsen Cronin is actually a more balanced and maybe even a more defensive midfield than a a, a Cronin Warner midfield. Yeah. I I, I mean Cronin, the way you're talking about Cronin reminds me of a certain uh, dreadlocked uh, defensive yeah. midfielder in MLS, right? But I even mean, Beckerman is a little bit tougher. He's a bit more of a uh, like a hard ass than than Cronin is. Yeah, but field. but Beckerman's not doing that racing around, doing a no. big tackle. I mean, yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I completely agree. Um, let's let's just say that. This weekend, Saturday, is the Toronto game. It's 11 a.m. Central Time, so get your pancakes out. Um, Toronto play Wednesday night against Columbus. This is... We are getting a bit lucky, guys, with our schedule. In yeah. that it's we played... The, our wins have come against teams that have been depleted, or, you know, Kansas City had just played uh, New York Red Bulls during midweek, and so they rested a couple guys against us. They took us for granted. I fully expect because Columbus is in the East that um, Toronto want to beat Columbus more than they want to beat us, right? They want to win both games, yep. but um, they're away in Columbus. They will play their full strength squad. We may see a couple players rested. Uh, that for, said, for Toronto. a rested Toronto team just went to Seattle and beat the Sounders. Yep. That's a team without Giovinco. It's a team without Drew Moore. It's a, so, and yes. Greg Vanny was quoted this week as saying Toronto are the deepest team in MLS history. I think he may be right. 
Yeah. So they, I mean, they're they're fantastic, and they also you know their first eleven, they're eighteen. They are yeah. far better than us. Very good team. We well, should... one, one more thing though, I think you're. I think you have the time wrong. I think I think it's uh, two o'clock central. Okay, great. It's um, which is which is way better. Yes. Get out your brunch, you know. Um, well, uh, well, we should actually we'll check that during the break because uh, the the Google Calendar that I have from the team says eleven, and I was like, really? So we'll take a break now. We'll come back and we'll do Twitter questions, and then uh, and then happy times are here again. <laughs> Welcome back to the 551 podcast. I'm Wes. I've got Alex on the line. And first up, I'm right or you're you're right, I'm wrong. Um <laughs> it's it's hard for me to do. Uh Minnesota United <laughs> plays at two o'clock on Saturday. Uh the Google calendar that Minnesota United created is wrong, so I will blame them. But um but that that means that it overlaps with the Minneapolis City versus uh Viejo Somos Trapos game, which is uh which starts at three, which is a bummer. That means you gotta get your MLS live subscription and your, your MLS app out and watch uh watch both. Yeah. There's <laughs> it's nothing like bringing the bringing the twins to a game and also <laughs> having my phone up while I'm watching that that is a that is a, a modern uh, family story right there. Um, let's let's do some Twitter questions here. We'll start with um, this is from the Dave's I Know podcast. They say, "What is the best Chicago beer, and why is it crap crap compared to Surly's Todd the Axeman?" Do you have, do you care about Chicago beer? You know, I don't. I I barely know Chicago beer. This is gonna make a couple people listening to this podcast cringe, but. The only Chicago beer I know of is, is probably Goose Island's beer. So, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Surly is, is I'm, superior. I'm gonna join you on that. Goose Island is not a bad beer, but that's the only one I know from Chicago. So, sorry, Chicago, you're not a very interesting city. This is from, uh, the Opuloons, uh, who, uh, were, there was an article on MLSsoccer.com about them, uh, this, this past weekend. How much did the Opuloons Rivalry week facts factor into the result. We're pretty sure the answer is 48%, but we want a second opinion. It was only 1%. <laughs> God. A joke wrote itself, and yet I wasn't prepared for it. Um, there was, there was some pretty fantastic, fun heckling, uh, that, that went on. Um, I, I tweeted some of it, um, some of my, my greatest hits, uh, but, um, Telling uh, Benny Feilhaber that uh, Jurgen was right was a <laughs> was a, a particularly good moment in my life. Um, the, the Sydney Larue Oompa Loompa song that that uh, that went out of uh, Sydney Larue is better than you. Dom Dwyer is five foot three, etc. Um, was a, a pretty good one. Um, Tim Melia, uh, there was a, a good heckling moment where he just would not turn around and recognize us and, and talk to us. So. I kept on talking to him about his, how his wife uh, tweeted at me once. He didn't respond to that either. So it was good time. It was good times. It was great. So much fun uh, having a rival. Yeah, the city are a fun team. And I also tweeted this out, which where I I met some uh, um, Kansas City folk at 
the night before the match, and they were all super nice, super nice. I want to say that, but there was there were a couple conversations I had where it was basically like, it was like patting us on the head as as if this was our first year of soccer. Like they were just like, oh well, you know, you guys are new. It, you'll have bad times like this, and it was just like, oh my god, I've I've. I've been way more depressed about my team than, than I was against Atlanta or something like that. Yeah. Like you guys don't know sadness until you've seen like seven games without a win in the middle of summer in Blaine against, <laughs> against freaking Fort Lauderdale. And ugh, yeah. yeah, so it was, it was adorable. I mean, it was, and, and really annoying. And I've, I've encountered that from other places in MLS, we've we've gotten a lot of that, and I I I get it. People are are not being jerks; they're being, but it's still really freaking hilarious and annoying. Yeah, Dav, uh, Davidinho David Smith uh, says there's a halftime Quidditch exhibition game planned for the upcoming game. Which position will West be playing? Which position would you be playing, Sheath? Uh, I think I would be playing keeper because. I, oh yeah, you are a keeper. Yeah, yeah. Goal. yeah. I mean, I'm I'm just gonna be honest. I I would not be on the Quidditch team. <laughs> I I don't know if anyone's tried playing athletics with me, but well, the, uh, but you don't have to be athletic to play Quidditch. You're you're on the broom. Does all the work. Yeah. Um. I'm just gonna say my skills lay lay elsewhere. Uh, I'd be, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'd be in a, a different world. Uh, so, so I don't know. I would not, but, um, I, I doubt that David is asking, but we are, there is a real Quidditch exhibition match happening at the next home game, which is against LA in two weeks, which will be very funny and weird. I, I mean, I, I don't know how we're going to heckle. Who, who is playing in that match? It's, uh, I think it's, um, like the, the McAllister Quidditch oh, group man. or something. Yeah. I didn't even know there was a McAllister finish. Okay, that good. Go Mac. Final question we'll go with, which from Jake Reuter. He says, "What's the most annoying Reuter take? Jake Reuter constantly being low on Miguel Ibarra, or Jeff Reuter's never-ending ed- vendetta against Ibsen?" Uh, hashtag Reuter's out. Uh, do you have a? Do you have a? Are you going to take a side? I here? think the most. I think the most annoying Reuter take is insisting that their name be spelled correctly. I think that the R-E-U-T-E-R spelling is just as legitimate, and I think that they should really get over it. And they, we should be able to call them Reuter. Right. Jeff yeah, Reuter exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Screw it's a guys. distinguished news organization. What is wrong with being associated with that? Yeah. I mean, I will say that um, Jeff's, now that he's not in the room, uh, every time he talks shit on Ibsen, I have to very, quite very gently say, like, you're wrong because he's very wrong. Like Ibsen is so fucking good. There are problems with his game, maybe, but he's oh my god. So Jeff, you're not here, so you're wrong. Okay, let's uh let's call it a day on that note. Uh, my name is Westerdine. You, sir, are Alex Schieffer Decker, and um, this has been the Fifty Five One Podcast. Thanks, man. It's uh, good chatting with you. Yeah, good. Good show. Um, we will uh, be back next week, and we've got uh, NPSL, MLS, whole lots of crap going on. So um, thank you, and uh, we'll all see you soon. Yeah. Absolutely.